week 14, a new journey. If you're joining us tonight for the first time in a while or for the first time, what we've been talking about in the Song of Solomon is two characters. We've been talking about uh, the Shulamite woman and her beloved, uh, specifically King Solomon and this woman, the Shulamite woman from the north. And what we've been finding is that this woman in the Song of Solomon represents a picture of the church or the bride of Christ, and King Solomon is representing a picture of the bridegroom or God. And it's a picture of church and Jesus, the, the marriage of the two. We see this woman in this pursuit of a close walk with her king, a picture of how we should walk in intimacy with God. And last week, we saw that Solomon was actually speaking into the Shulamite woman, uh, telling her how beautiful she was. Verses 1 through 7 um, of chapter 3, it was just over and over how every detail of her he found beautiful. And we also talked about last week how we have a tendency in church to highlight one of the persons of God more than the other. That God is a three-in-one God. There's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. And many times we're quick to bow at our knees to Jesus saving us, but the moment Holy Spirit says no, we have a conversation rather than a yes. And what we talked about last week was there's this word for Trinity or three in one called perichoresis. Uh, the original language actually meaning uh, peri is circle, choresis is choreography, the idea of a circle dance, that it's not the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as a hierarchy, it is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as one operating in this circle dance of life where we are to give honor to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not one above the other, but all in the same in their specific functions. Does that make sense? Holy Spirit is Lord. Holy Spirit is not your conscience. Can I? Holy Spirit is Lord. He's not your conscience. He's much more than just a feeling. He is God. Right? And it's a lot easier to say yes to Holy Spirit when you start to believe in your worth that He declares over you. God redeemed you because you're beautiful. He did not redeem you because you were ugly. In redeeming you because you're beautiful, beauty was revealed when all you see is ugly. Because what the church teaches is Jesus came because you were a filthy sinner. I put forth to you that Jesus came because the Father looked at us and said, My bride is too beautiful to be wasted. My bride is too beautiful to walk in a lie of sin identity. So because I see my bride as beautiful, I'm going to go marry her. And when God came to marry the bride or the church, it had to be done through the consummation of the cross, death, hell, and the grave. So that he could buy our right to walk as his beautiful bride. That make sense? So the king is calling out this beauty of the bride, detail by detail by detail. And last week we actually saw that uh, he actually called out seven specific features. And how the number seven is uh, noteworthy of perfection and completeness. And, 
And before we get into the text, something came to my mind today that I never really paid attention to. Maybe y'all got this, but I've never really thought about it. Would, if we see that seven is perfection and seen in the image of Jesus, I go back to the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. The woman was doing her thing, and Jesus says, hey, why don't you go call your husband? And the woman goes, I ain't got no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You had five, and now you're with one that you ain't married. What stood out to me was she had a relationship with six. But complete and perfect number seven showed up. So what do you have more relationship with? The six or less than of your life or the perfect man Jesus who came to redeem you and marry you? Mm. So in the... Uh, uh, so in this idea of this perfect man or this perfect God who comes to redeem us and complete us and bring us into perfection, he says in verse 7 to the bride, this is where we're starting tonight, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. You're beautiful in every way. After giving these seven distinct characteristics of beauty, the beloved summarizes the whole thing by saying, you are altogether beautiful. Beautiful. A more accurate translation of the original in every way actually means this. There is no spot in you. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, does anyone in here belong to Christ? Has, has become, not will become, has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. When you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to a marriage. And you became the bride of Christ. And a new life has begun, and he sees you as a bride with no spot. Meaning, he sees no reason to not give you access to redeemed assignments and redeemed identity. And the biggest crippling agent of the church is we have taught people how to identify spots that he no longer sees as a hindrance. When he sees you as altogether beautiful, he sees you as a bride that is perfect because you are not found in the six. You're found in him. You're not found in the first thing you did years ago or the second thing you did yesterday or the third thing you did 14 years ago or the fifth thing that you did that your parents' generation bloodline came through or the fifth or the sixth or whatever. No, 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 no. You're not found in any of that. Your identity is not what you slept with in your past. Your identity is in a consummation marriage of us to him. And he says, when I see you, I see no spot. There is no reason for you to be held back. What holds us back is not understanding the process of no spot bride being revealed. So I want to take in Ephesians 5, 24 through 27. Is this too deep, too quick, or are we okay? All right. I got about 18 pages to go. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 24 through 27. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. This is one of the miss, most mistaught scriptures ever because we love to stop there. Wives, submit to your husbands. But verse 25, for you husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. 
to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church with no, <laughs> with no spot, no wrinkle, no blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. I want to look at what the scripture actually says. It says, a wife submits to a husband when the husband does his part to love her. Some of y'all husbands didn't like that. The reason the bride submits to the groom is because of the groom's love. And the bridegroom, God, loves the bride so much that he made us spotless so that we could be worthy of I do. We're altogether lovely. The church submits to God not out of duty, but as a response to perfect love. And perfect love says, in you, there is no spot, there is no wrinkle. And how dare us focus on shortcomings and talk ourselves out of the worthiness that God sees as a no-spot bride. Because the moment you start feeling inclined to do things, the moment you start feeling Holy Spirit saying, man, you should, you should start this ministry, you should serve in this area, or you should learn how to preach, or you should learn this, or you should learn that, or you should serve in this mission, or you should bless that person at the gas station, or you need to pray into this, or you need to pray into that. The moment we start hearing that stuff, we start to say, yeah, but I don't know how to pray. When you don't realize that's the best place for you to be because you won't pray through a religious lens. You talk to people fine, what's the difference with God, right? We start to talk ourselves into these shortcomings when really God says, no, no, no. There's no spot, there's no blemish, there's no wrinkle. Embrace a spiritual reality of no spots so that it results in the natural man, you, us, being so infatuated with God that desires come that align with spiritual. Meaning natural spots disappear, revealing true self of no spots. When we start to get infatuated with a relationship walking with God, new desires will be given to us. And new desires cause us to walk in different directions in the appropriate direction that doesn't look blemished. But when we don't take the time to walk with God, we have all of these desires coming forth in our lives. We got this desire to watch this thing or do that thing or listen to that thing or, or see how that feels or see how that tastes. Or we start to have all these desires and before you know it, you walk in a false identity of spotted. When he says, if you walk with me, you'll actually start to crave different things. And because you crave different things and feast on new things, you feast on a new bread and a new wine a no-spot bride, people start to see that. You start to see that. You start to believe it. And in verse 8, the king looks at this woman and says, come with me from Lebanon. I'm, I'm building all this. Is this making sense? Line by line? Okay. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Come down from Mount Amana, from the peaks of Sinir and Hermon, where the lions had their dens and the lepers live among the hills. Notice the king refers to her for the first time as my bride. He is not ashamed of the relationship. He calls her his own. 
and actually continues it throughout the passage. This is the first time where it was just a worthy woman to, this is my bride. He has called out how beautiful she was. He has called out how perfect she was as, an, as an, a, a redeemed identity in him. And he says, hey, you're mine. And I, I, for some reason, I feel like people need to hear that tonight. When God looks at you, he doesn't look at you and say, wow, you're so far away. He says, you're mine. question is, when are you going to say yes to it? The question is, when are we going to realize how close we are to him? He is all around us. He is everywhere. He is not a distant God. He is a right now, present God. He is with us every step of the way. Don't let false spots create false separation. The king refers to, this is my bride. And he says, because you're mine, I want you to come away from Lebanon. He is calling her out of her home from the north, where she came from. Come away from where she came from to a new place with the king. Many times we forget that God calls you from your current or past place of dwelling or your current or past home to a new one. He calls you from a place that you used to live into a new journey that will take you to places you never thought you were worthy to go. He did the same thing with Abraham. Abraham in Genesis 12 was told, God said, hey, I want you to leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and I'm going to go to a land that I'm going to show you. Now, can you imagine Abraham getting that call, if you will? God says, hey, I want you to leave everything that you know, and I'm going to take you to a place that I'm going to show you. In other words, leave what you know, and I'm going to take you to a place I'm not going to tell you yet. Now, I want you to think about that before I go any further. Because in life, we always want to know, all right, God, I'll say yes, but what am I saying yes to? Abraham didn't have that luxury. He said, you leave your stuff, and I'm going to take you to a place that I will show you. In other words, leave where you're currently at, and I'm going to take you on a journey. And the only way you're going to find out what that place is is to get infatuated with me. To go, he says, to go to a land that I will show you. How would Abraham know where to go if God isn't telling him? It begins with leaving familiar, leaving rational, leaving natural, and walk in a faith journey that produces clear direction. He says, leave what you know and enter into a new faith journey. Where knowing the groom, knowing God, is the guide for everything you will ever do. Not knowing the outcomes, not knowing the clear place, just knowing God. And I think so many times in life, we try to overthink what it is and what is it going to be and what is it going to look like. You walk by faith. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of what's not seen. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to get infatuated with God to where I'm going to walk with him wherever he says to go. Because faith without works is dead. So you can have the faith to become something all day long, but faith without the walk takes you nowhere. 
You walk by faith, not stand still by it. And you want to know why America has declined? Because the church is waiting on God in faith, and they haven't started to walk. They haven't started to go there. Is God, we, 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 I'm getting too far ahead of myself, but we stand on these, these mountaintop experiences of something that happened at church. Or we, we focus on this, this high level of God's coming back. And that's where the church has been at the, you know, the past 20, 30 years. He's coming back. He's coming back. We just need to press in. He's coming back. And God's like, why are you still standing here in my I'm coming back, get off the mountain and do something about it until I do. This is going to make more sense in a minute. He, he, he says, Shulamite woman, come away from everything you know, leave the place of familiar, and start to walk in this marriage covenant. And familiar places are not always bad places. Lebanon was actually a really good mountain. It was known for the dew of Hermon, for joy, for, for, for good smells. It was a great place to be. But the call of God on his bride says, come away from the pleasures of natural and rest in the pleasures of bride and bridegroom relationship. We try to identify the places God wants us to leave always as sinful. You're limiting your faith. Because faith does not just come out of what's bad. Faith does come out of whatever he says to leave. This might get me in trouble, but what if you have a devotional that you do every day for the past 10 years? And one day God says, that's really good. But I want you to come down from your everyday intended devotional to a new one where you just sit and listen without a page to read. And that scares a lot of us. I'm not telling every, all of you to do that. What I'm saying is, are we willing to say yes to whatever depth of relationship God calls you to? I'm not against, I want to be clear. I don't want to get texts tomorrow morning. I am not against devotionals. I write one every day for y'all. What I am saying is that you have to be willing to go as deep as God wants you to go. Even if it means no structure. Like Abraham. Hey, leave everything you know and we're going to go to a place that I'll show you eventually. The call of God on his bride come away from the pleasures of natural and rest in relationship. There's other mountains mentioned than just Lebanon. He says Mount Amana, Mount Sanir. They were actually the highest hills on the earth is what was mentioned. He says, come away from the mindset of get to the top of the mountain. Psalm 121, 1 through 2. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Oftentimes in natural, we look forward to mountaintop experiences or even we have a mindset of, if I could only get there. But there, someone shout there. 
the there that offers you the greatest care and help is in you and around you, not somewhere else. The there that you're seeking for is in you and around you, not somewhere else. I'm going to get there one day. Maybe you should submit to there one day. There is not a distant place. There is in us, flowing out of us, all around us. But what we do, again, this, this this is going to go deeper. What we do is we look for the mountaintop experiences. I got to get to church, or I've got to get to that prophetic conference, or I've got to get to that one person in the U.S. who is the best speaker in the world. We look for these mountaintop things. Oh, if I could just get my marriage to this place. Oh, if I could just get my bank account to this place. Oh, if I could just get my private life to this place. You're still trying to get to a mountaintop of there when actually the call of God over and over in Scripture actually calls us down from the mountain. With all the great mountains there are in life, there's also a lot of dangers Things that are not always seen. And the scripture here actually says that the hills are full of dens with lions and leopards. So when you leave all of that behind, this mountaintop high experiences, you're actually led away from the hidden places the enemy resides. What hidden places? Places the enemy has dominion. I think one of the biggest dominions the enemy has in in, in secret is a mindset suggestion of, well, that's how I grew up. So you're trying to get there based off of how you were raised. And what happens is you get stuck in that trap of this is just who I am. And you try to get there based off of a false identity that is actually very spotty. When the way to get there is to walk in a no-spot identity, realizing that there is everywhere I go, because I carry the very presence of the Lord. You can, we can have 5,000 people come together and have an amazing time worshiping God, and you can have the same experiences with Him in the car on the way to work. If you understand that there is just as much as there. And some people may not like me for this. Cool. But the there in Israel is just as there in Pooler. Because he is far beyond what we can imagine. What our eyes can see. He is all, he is just as present. And when we leave all that behind, he says, I'm calling you into this new journey walk. I'm calling you out from Lebanon. I'm calling you out from the high place. I'm calling you down from the mountain to come walk with me. Why do you wait for your Lebanon to change when God has clearly called you to walk away from it? 
your Lebanon, the familiar place, the, the, the natural place, the idea if I could only get there. He says, no, 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 don't feast your eyes on there. Get your eyes on me. I, I wrote this down. I believe Relentless Church is a movement where a bunch of crazy people dare to walk away from the Lebanon spirit called church. Because we have seen church as, think about what the common day language is for church. Well, if I walked in those doors, the whole place would catch on fire. Because we have, we have started to look at church as the Lebanon mountaintop. So when you get out of church, your mindset automatically agrees that you're not good enough. And then we put church in such a mountaintop uh, um, image that if we get let down at church, that means God wasn't speaking to me. He says, no, 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 come down from that mountain and walk. Stop putting me in one place. Stop putting me in an idea. Know me as a person. And to go even further, the original phrasing of come down from Amana came from a Hebrew word where we actually get the words amen and faith. The original text actually says come down from the crest of Amana. So amen means so be it or it is. Faith means a trust or a confidence in something. The crest of Amana was regarding a place where God's promises are realized. So you, you, you got, you're on the mountain of Armana, and God says something to you. You ever have one of those experiences? And you're like, amen, yes, I have faith for that. And then we stay at the top of the mountain. Yes, God, I'm ready for it. Amen, I have faith for it. Yes, and then 10 years later, I still got faith for it. And you're staying on the mountain. You're staying on the mountain of realization. You're staying on the mountain of the amen. You're staying on the mountain of the God moment. And this is what he says. He says, come down from the realization of promise and start walking with the king on the way to the promise. Stop staying, stop, stop staying in the revelation of promise and start walking down the mountain on the way to where promise is. There's a mountaintop experience where you understand promise, but the rest of your life is about a new journey seeing that promise walked out. Right? So that's what the church has done with Jesus is going to come back. The realization of the promise. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Why ain't he coming back? And God says, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back when you start to really understand you're spotless. And the only way to do that is walk down the mountain, off realization and into promise. What is the promise? I'm carrying that revelation and that realization of who he is into every area of my life. That's walking down the mountain. That's coming down from the crest of Armana. The church has built an altar on the mountain peak. And we got to leave the mountain now that we get it and start walking. It's the same concept as when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. 
Peter, James, and John watched Jesus radiate like the sun, clothes becoming white as light. Moses and Elijah showed up to have a conversation, and Peter's response was, this is an awesome experience on this mountain. Let's build three altars. And the father said, no, 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 no. And then Moses and Elijah disappeared, and he says, you listen to my son. And you know what the son's instruction was? Let's go walk back down the mountain. He didn't say, let's stay up here and wait until the father makes it all good. He says, no, 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 we got to walk down the mountain. They saw transfiguration, and Jesus says, let's walk so you can be transfigured too. And you know how we were transfigured? His death and resurrection. You see, the new journey says, come down from the mountain, come down from the familiar, and begin your walk to a place that he will show you. That's the new journey. Why would he offer this? Why would a God that could do anything? Let's be real. God could wipe us out and just start over. Which technically he did when he died for you on the cross. The old life is gone. The new life's begun. But why? Why would God offer us this? Look at Song of Solomon 4.9. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. The king just shifted from praising her beauty and praising her character to talking about the effect, the effect that she has on him. And begins with, my treasure, my bride. I want you to understand what we're about to read. We're about to read how God responds to our affections. God says, you've captured my heart. My treasure, my bride. Do you realize the implications of that? He sees you as so worthy that we capture his heart. You think about all the songs we sing in church. God, you, you, you capture our heart. You capture our heart. And, and God is saying, I want you to understand too, you capture mine. I'm going I'm to go into this more and more. My treasure, my bride. Treasure in some translations actually says sister. Because the original language of where they get sister or treasure actually means equal. He says, you are my bride, you are my equal. You are, what, what does the scripture say? We are co-heirs in Christ. He says, you hold my heart hostage with one glance of your eye because my bride, my equal, has her gaze fixed on me. And that word for heart, when it says, you, you, ha you have my heart hostage, the Hebrew word for heart is, don't even try to say this, but it's libabethini. <laughs> and this is what it means, to tear the bark off of a tree. Are y'all engaged? There's a lot of movement. Are y'all good? Okay. In other words, he says, you have captured my heart or you have torn the bark off the tree. Your eyes have uncovered the heart and left it bare. When your eyes are on the beloved, you see his heart and you see what was previously hidden. Let me give you a scripture. Matthew 13, 10 through 11. 
His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They are not. Your gaze opens up the mysteries of heaven that you cannot see with natural eyes. So, in other words, when God says, you've captured my heart, he has seen that you are fixing your eyes on him. And when you start to fix your eyes on him and walk off the mountain, he says, it's like tearing bark off a tree you're tearing down the things that divided us and you're seeing my heart. And what is his heart? Mysteries of heaven that you weren't allowed to see before. I'll read another scripture, Proverbs 25 two. It is God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to discover them. You know what that just said? He says, God's glory is to hide it and your glory is to tear off the bark. Y'all are quiet now. Is this just, are y'all, are, are y'all soaking this in? Oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, last week, everyone was shouting. This week, it was like a quiet, quiet as a mouse. It is God's privilege to conceal a thing, the king's privilege to discover them. We as equals or co-heirs with Christ have the privilege to fix eyes on him, which capture his heart in such a way that as a barren tree, God himself is made vulnerable to allow you to see beyond the veil, seeing the mysteries of the kingdom. You want to find your purpose? Come come off the mountain of promise. Take a journey on the way to promise and get directions to a place he's going to show you by stripping off the bark because you'll see the mysteries revealed that helps you complete your journey. God, show me, he says, it's all right here. And the more you fix your eyes on him and not the mountain, the bark peels. The mysteries are revealed. I wish I had that gift. You ain't peeling off bark. How do I peel off bark? What do I need to do? Just get infatuated with him more and more and more. What has religion done? We've made gifts and abilities earning. When gifts and abilities are simply revealing. Just tear off the bark. Amen. That was like in, in rhythm with what I was doing. Capture the mysteries with one gaze. It says, and there's with, with, with one gaze, with one link of the necklace. A jewel, as in a single act of obedience with faith on the necklace. If you remember last week, the neck is a representation of connecting the body to the head by way of faith. Jewels, mm-hmm. Jewels are the obedient steps of faith. On the, the necklace around the around faith. He says, hey, all I need is one jewel. All I need is one step of faith. And the question is, what one obedient step will you not take that will actually cause you to see mysteries you've been praying for for months and years? One step of faith. Sometimes it's all it takes. 
And I felt like the Lord told me when I was going to say that tonight, there was going to be things that came to your mind that you've been thinking of. I felt like God was telling me to do this for years and years, and I haven't done it. He just needs one jewel, one step. Because you know what the step is? I'm coming off the mountain. Verse 10. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume more fragrant than spices. What's interesting is the Hebrew word for love, dod, is used to describe physical expressions of love. The king is delighting not just by what he sees in her eyes, but he's delighting in what he sees by what he is experiencing from the bride. Do your actions communicate love to God as much as the praise of your lips? 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Remember how we talked about wives submit to your husbands as husbands love your wife? Wives, love your husband because your husband loves you. Church, Love your God because God loved you. He loved in word and action first, and our proper response is to do the same. Because words are only so much without action. And the action is not just how you show him that you love him, but show him you love him by loving others by action. Well, Kyle, I'm not a people person. Maybe old you wasn't. You were designed to be a bride taking on the image of the groom, not the image of what you want to be. We are made in the image of Christ. He's kind of a people person. Well, that's just not how I was designed. Yes, spot, spotty you is not designed that way. So you can walk as spotty or start being revealed. That doesn't mean you got to talk to a thousand people a day or ten people a week. What it's about is being willing when the opportunity comes by way of God-ordained steps. We're not talking about extrovert. We're not talking about introvert. We're talking about am I at a place in my life where whatever God says, despite what my personality trait may be, I say yes. Because I'm being revealed the more I fix my gaze. And this love action, he says, is better than wine. And it's sweeter than fragrant spices. Wine was always poured out as a drink offering to God. So God says, of all the offerings you give to me, your love in action is better. Of all the stuff you pour out, love in action is better. I'll say the thing that no preacher wants to say. Of all the tithing you can do, you loving people is better. Of all the church services you can attend, you loving people is better. He says it is the, it, <clears throat> your love in action is sweeter than wine. It's not saying wine ain't good, but there is a better thing. Spices used to make incense burn daily at the altar. 
God says, what I see you do in my name is the incense that I want. So you can get the best oil and the best fragrances and ship them from wherever, but God says the better thing is you doing it. Nothing wrong with it, but there is a better thing. There is a better portion. What if part of your new journey begins in the way you express love to God in action and the way you express love to God in action toward the things in the earth he created, people? The wine, and the, the wine and the spices simply symbolize a love in action. He turns water into the best wine. He can take anyone, and they can be used as the most perfect offering suitable for the party. It's, it's like um, the world needed someone to teach. So he took this water called Saul and turned the water into the wine named Paul. See, I believe water into wine was more prophetic than we realized, and it was a miracle. He said, I can take whatever you got and turn it into the best thing for the party. That's just not who I am. He can turn water into wine. I'm not ready for that. He can turn water into wine. I've wasted all these years. He can turn water into wine. Simon, how you fishing? You ain't caught nothing all day. I can turn water into wine. Hey, Peter. <laughs> Kyle, you want to be a doctor? I can turn that water into wine. Not that being a doctor is bad, but it, it wasn't the wine I was prepared for. It was what I wanted. Because I wasn't on a faith journey where I, my desires aligned. Okay. Okay. We are all identified in Jesus. The bread and the wine. Verse 11. Your lips are as sweet as nectar, my bride. This is where, this is where it gets good. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. Both lips and clothes are compared back to sweetness and smells of Lebanon. God delights more in what comes off of you in this new journey down the mountain than the experiences you had on the mountain. Why did Jesus say it was better that he went and that he would send us a helper? The fragrance of worship in his absence is better than his flesh being presence. Okay. Where, where was it? The fragrance of worship in his absence is actually better than his flesh being present for this age. There will be a day when, we're, when we are reunited. But he says for this time, the better fragrance is me not being here. Why? You'll get Holy Spirit so that you'll be fully baptized and fully clothed. So what are we able to do off the mountain? So what we are able to do off of the mountain of Jesus' presence is better. It's a better thing that, that, we, that he went and didn't stay with us. 
And for some reason, we keep focusing on when is he coming back. When we need to realize that we are clothed in him. So what more could you want? Do you really understand the revelation that coming off of Lebanon is putting on robes of righteousness? But you're still clothed in Lebanon scent. Is, is, this, is this okay? Yeah. Okay. He says, honey and milk is under your tongue. All throughout Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua, God's reminding them over and over, I'm bringing you to a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. And he says, now the milk and honey is actually flowing within you. In other words, I was taking them to the promised land, but my bride is the promised land. You are the land flowing with milk and honey. But we've made milk and honey uh, there. We're going to get there one day, and we're going to keep walking just like they did in the, in the wilderness. We are the milk and honey that the captives crave. The question is, do people see the milk and honey? God delights in it for him because his bride flows with it for a purpose to bring heaven to earth. The question is, are people seeing milk and honey? The new journey isn't about everyday altar calls to get your life right. It's about taking a journey that you dare to be revealed, where people get hungry for God because they get a taste of divine milk and they get a taste of divine honey from you. Think about all the captives coming out of Egypt. You're going to get to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to have everything you need. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be sustaining. And everyone's trying to find milk and honey today. They're trying to find identity. They're trying to find purpose. And because they can't find it in the church, they're finding it in everything that the enemy offers. And for some reason, we look down on them. When we need to start realizing the reason that they're not coming to God is because they can't find the milk and honey. And the church is still trying to find milk and honey, and God says, you're my bride. You are the milk and honey. Milk represents fertility and production, a land that produces, a land that's abundant. Honey represents pleasure, joy, sweetness. People will be delivered from bitterness and non-productive lives when they find Christ and our role, when they find Christ in us and our role is to let the world have a taste of it. When they start to see us walk off the mountain, they're going to say, why is that so sweet? I, I've been craving that for years. Why am I coming back? <laughs> because they're actually starting to taste of the divine milk the divine honey, and it's in a promised land called a bride. It's not in a promised land called a 6,000 square foot building. It's not in a promised land called uh, great church services that run 60 minutes. It's in a people 
who allow the goodness of God to flow up. They taste milk and honey by the way you talk. They taste milk and honey by the way you respond. They taste milk and honey when you said, I'll pray for you, and five minutes later, their prayer actually gets answered, and the only thing they can point to is not God, you. You know why? Because they tasted milk and honey, and then you can say, oh, you want to know why it worked? Because I'm connected to the one that took me off the mountain. A new journey. You see, I think for years, the church has had this wrong mindset of we've got to get there. And we need to start walking in a mindset of we are there. We are the promised land. The implications of that are incredible. Verse 12, you are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Now, just being real, what this scripture is talking about, the groom is delighting in her virginity. Private garden. Some versions say a secluded spring or a spring shut up, a hidden fountain or a closed fountain. He is delighting in that this woman has not given herself to anyone but he's about to get her because she was reserved for the king. You need to realize that God is so jealous for you that he wants all expressions of love to be reserved for him and coming out of the marriage bedroom with him. The way you love people indicates how lost you are in the bedroom with God because all of our fountains are in him. When you give yourself to other lovers that he calls sin, you're more separated from him and prevents his glory from being spread and shown. I'm going to say it, it might be a little too much, but the cross redeemed your virginity as a worthy bride. Because he doesn't see someone who has given herself to other lovers. He sees a new you. And he says, I want to consummate this thing. I want for us to come together. What, is, what does it mean to come together with God? Every decision flows from that conversation. Every step flows from that conversation. If I have a desire, I don't care how much I love it. If it's not in line with him, I will not say yes to it. I'm going to have a chat with my lover in the bedroom, in the chambers, in the secret place, in the holy place, in the presence of God. Daily prayer is not about getting your prayer in. Daily prayer is about getting the bedroom. He says the way you are going to become the milk and honey or the divine promised land, the way you're going to ha have this sweet things coming out of you to the world is to get lost in a relationship with the beloved. And what he delights in is a bride who gives all of herself to him. Not just Saturday nights, not just five minutes in the morning, the way you run your business, the way you balance your checkbook, the way you say yes to Holy Spirit, everything. He, he goes on, 
in verses 13 through 15, says, Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices, henna with nard, nard and saffron, fragrant calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, and every other lovely spice. You're a garden fountain, a well of fresh water, streaming down from Lebanon's mountains. Because the bride was reserved as a virgin for the king, he begins to give description as to what this virginity denotes. It's a sweet smell and fruit. He, he is describing how good it is that she has not given herself to any other lover. He says, now that you're giving yourself to God, there is an aroma that he starts to delight in. And as I was looking through these, it's incredible what all this means. The pomegranates simply meant exalted. They were the things used to adorn the temple and the priest robes. Henna is from a root word meaning redemption or fruit of mercy. Nard is the Hebrew word meaning light. Saffron, costly. It was reserved for a lover's perfume. Calamus, it produced fragrant oil and means purchased or redeemed. Cinnamon, it was a smell representing holiness. Frankincense was a fragrance burned in the holy place. Myrrh, listen to this. This particular word is known as the tears of the tree or the sacrifice on the cross. Aloe, it's a healing balm, healing released to others. In other words, he says, my bride, if you would get lost in who I am, people would see all the attributes of God. Highly exalted, redeemed, light, costly, purchasing redemption, holiness, the holy place, a sacrifice, and a healing for all. All because of saying yes to an invitation to become his possession. But we are still looking for the redemption and the holiness and the healing at a specific place in the front of the congregation. And I'm telling you, I'll say this prophetically, the days of people coming to get healed here are going away. It has got to be spread far beyond a place that no one in this world, frankly, wants to come to. It has got to flow, this healing and redemption and mercy and all the things that denotes the virginity of the bride in this passage, he says, it's going to flow from a people saying yes to coming off of there. It's a new journey. This is called an apostolic house because it means we are willing to walk in new journeys. That means paying a price of what people think of us. That means paying a price of what the general church might say is right or wrong. Because I can tell you, they're not teaching this stuff in theology school. Are we willing to go to a place where one day a new journey may take us away from what we know as church? What if it takes us to a place where church is simply, we are? What if church is, what, 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 if, what if this is actually not the expression 
of the bride? What, 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 what if church becomes a people who simply do life together and walk in such humility to God that we're all unified and we're spreading the divine honey and milk downtown and in Walmart and in our families and we're seeing more salvations in conversations at a dinner table than prayers at a building? What if the church actually started becoming the bride? And this would just become a celebration of what the bride is. All because we'll say yes. It's a new journey. I, I pray that tonight as we've been talking about this, your dare has been highlighted. And as we leave tonight, your dare will be, or your, your, your revelation will be, I need to walk away from there and walk in and walk what dare showed me. Don't stay in the promise. Walk it out. You see, in Jeremiah 31, 12, see, it said, you're, you're a garden fountain, a well of fresh water. And Jeremiah prophesied about this. He said, they will come home, sing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. They will be radiant because of the Lord's good gifts, the abundant crops of grain, new wine, olive oil, healthy stocks, uh, flocks, herds. Their life will be like a water garden and all of their sorrows will be gone. God says to us, this is your identity as a bride. You want to know how you're walking in identity? You radiate, you produce, there's joy, sorrows are gone. Yeah, well, Kyle, I got a lot of sorrows and I got a lot of grief and I got a lot of pain. Don't let this be something that pushes you down. Let this be a message that helps you identify spots that are false. I feel really bad about this thing. Come off of the realization of feeling bad about that thing. Because that sorrow is not allowed to stay. Yeah, but you don't know what I did. I've, I've never told anyone. Come off of the mountain of realization and walk into your promise. Yeah, but you, 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 Kyle, you, you have no idea. It doesn't matter. He sees you as beautiful and spotless. Stop having more relationships with spots than relationship with God. Can I just say this? Don't stay at the, at the mountaintop experience of the cross. Jesus came down from it. Take up your cross. Don't sit and stare at it. just in case you need a scripture to back that up. He is Savior, but he is good, and he invites us to a lover's chamber that produces a new identity. And a lot of us stay in the identity of I need to get saved all the time because we're sitting there looking at the cross, and we're not walking down from that mountain. Because three days later, he rose. But we're, stay, we're still staying at three days before he was crucified. And that's where the church has been for the last hundreds of years. We, we missed it. When you see something that is not indicative of that identity, go into the chambers, lean in the presence, and call on his name. And you'll start to walk down the mountain. And after all of this, <clears throat> the bride responds in verse 16. She says, awake, north wind. Rise up, south wind. Blow on my garden and spread its fragrance all around. Remember what the fragrance was? Pomegranates, 
henna, saffron, or spread exalted redemption, light, costly, redeemed, holy, holy place, sacrificial healing. Let all that spread around. Come into your garden, my love, and taste its finest fruits. After he describes over and over how he sees the bride, her response is to invite the wind. And not just general, she says north and south. Now, north <clears throat> comes from a Hebrew word meaning hidden. South means God's comforts and dealings with us. So this is what the bride says. Bring your hidden ways from the cool winds of the north and bring your comforts and dealings and convictions from the warm winds of the south. And a lot of times we sit in the, we want the winds of the Holy Spirit for convict us, help us, lead us, but we reject the north winds of hidden. Well, God, show, it, show us what it is so we can get it. No, 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 no. You're going to get it by inviting wind that you don't identify yet. Identi bring in the mystery, God. Bring the journey. I want to walk into mystery, not by way of seeing what the possibility of mystery is. I want to walk into hidden mystery by way of simply, I delight in every step with the walk. I want to walk with you, God. And I'm embodying that hidden experience by way of the walk. This is her response to this whole thing. She says, yes. I want to be with you. I want to give myself to you. I want the hidden things. I want the good things. I want the hard things. I want it all, God. Bring your hidden ways. Bring your comforts. Spread that fragrance. A life in Christ. There, there's, there's a word that, that I want to bring up is preparation. We need to prepare for all of this. We need to prepare for a day where we'll say yes. And the preparation for that day is not in a bare idea of maybe in two years when I get better. But the, the preparation needs to be a, I'm going to intentionally shift my mindset tonight. That I'm not waiting for a day to get it. Then I'm simply going to get start starting to get infatuated with who he is. Knowing that in that infatuation and in that relationship and in those intimate moments, I'm going to see all the north and south winds. Because my yes is the invitation. There's a, there's a scripture I want to read, and I want you to keep this idea of preparation in mind. I'm going to close with a scripture. It says this in 2 Corinthians 2.15. Our lives are a Christ-like Fragrance rising up to God. Now watch this. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Why do you think he calls you to come down from your familiar? Because your fragrance will actually push familiar. And when the new fragrance of what you're walking in invites new, but maybe the familiar things of your life say, I don't like how you're starting to smell. You know, you, you, you used to smell like this, but now you, 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 you smell, they're going to be actually turned off by it. 
I, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. You see, this entire passage, he's been preparing us for those moments. When you get lost in him, there's going to be a different fragrance from your worship. And when that fragrance starts to push away your familiar, your mindset has to be willing to let go of familiar and to go into unfamiliar. And when we embrace going into unfamiliar at the expense of what was familiar, we start, we start to walk in a journey no matter what the cost. And we start to pray things like, bring your wins and your bride. Bring your wins to your church. We'll no longer be tiptoeing around the matter. You see this entire chapter about the beauty of the bride and the groom delighting in this beauty is simply for one thing. He says, you're going to start to look different when you're identified in me. Are you prepared to lose anything that you've known so that you can gain everything you don't? Being willing to walk away from the there expectation, from the there realization. Say, I don't, I don't want to just know the promise, but now that I got it, I'm going to do something with it. I don't want to stay at the mountaintop of Jesus saved me. I want to do something with it. I don't want to stay at the mountaintop of healings for today. I want to do something with it. I don't want to stay at the mountaintop of, uh, I had a moment when my depression went away. I, I, I want to walk in a journey where depression is not invited. Because the fragrance I give off actually pushes away the spirits. We are ready, we'll be ready for a new journey that no one else has dared to invite. Let our prayer tonight be let the winds blow. Let our prayer tonight be God reveal the things so we know where to walk away from. And let us get infatuated with you to walk into mysteries that we have no idea of. If we would understand that the great things that God has planned are actually not on the mountain, we're going to start to see tremendous breakthrough. It's the realization of great things that is on the mountain. God wants us to do this. God wants the church to do this. We got to walk off of that. We got to be willing to get it wrong for the glory of to God when we get it right. The disciples went through it for three years and they led a movement when he left. You ever realize that? The movement was not sustained until he went away. Because the moment he was killed, they all went back on, on, on the movement. Like he experienced these big revivals, you experience these big manifestations, and then the moment a trial comes, <laughs> and it all disappears. That's what happened when Jesus died. All the movement that was going on, the thousands that came from the, the hills and the mountains and the plains and the cities, and as soon as he was, as soon as he was put up on that cross, mm -mm, we ain't got nothing to do with that. And when he left is when the big, biggest movement started.
puts a whole new turn on it. It is better that I go. And you know why they couldn't understand it? Because it was a mystery. And you want to know when the mystery was revealed? When they started tearing bark off a tree in an experience called the upper room. Where all they could do was pray into what they didn't know. You see, we, 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 can't, we can't come in here. This is heavier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> we, 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 we can't come in here and pray, God, would, would, you, would you pour out tongues? And we can't come in here and pray, God, would you pour out healings? And we can't come in here and pray, God, would you do here what you did uh, you know, in, uh, in Azusa? And we can't say, God, would you do here what you did, what did at Brownsville? And we can't say, God, would you do here what they did? And no, 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 no. We, we, we can't say, God, would you bring you know, tongues of fire and, 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 and different languages like in Acts? No, 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 no. He says, I want you to get infatuated, infatuated with me for whatever that they're going to write about. Why is it uh, why is it called the New Testament? It was a testament of what can happen when you say yes. I, I don't want to operate, let, let's say this. We do not need to operate in this time and age of we need to get ready for Christ's return. We need to operate in such a way that we're expecting the next generation to read about what we did. And not so much as the outpouring, but the how. How they do that. And it's not we open the, you know, the church up all day to pray. It's not necessarily we had a great worship team come in or a great speaker. It's, a, it's one word, infatuation. That's the new journey. Let's get lost in relationship so that God will do whatever with us. So that Pooler, Effingham, Savannah, the surrounding area, at least in these people starting, the world will get a taste of true milk and honey. Amen.